0: Welcome to Pure Nonfiction, the podcast interviewing documentary filmmakers. I'm your host, Tom Powers, the documentary programmer for the Toronto International Film Festival and artistic director for Doc NYC. On today's episode, I interview Werner Herzog. At age 74, he's directed more than 60 films. He gained international attention in the 1970s for fiction features such as Aguirre Wrath of God and Nosferatu both starring Klaus Kinski. Throughout his career, he's alternated between fiction and documentary more fluidly than most directors. His only Oscar nomination was in 2009 for the documentary Encounters at the End of the World, set in Antarctica. His other prominent nonfiction works include Grizzly Man and Cave of Forgotten Dreams. His latest documentary is about volcanoes, titled Into the Inferno. He teams up with the volcanologist Dr. Clive Oppenheimer as they take a visually stunning journey to hotspots around the world. Here's a clip of Herzog's narration.
1: Obviously, there was a scientific side to our journey, but what we were really chasing was the magical side, the demons, the new gods. This was the itinerary we had set for ourselves no matter how strange things might eventually get.
0: Herzog's volcano fascination goes back decades. Here's a clip from his 1977 documentary, La Soufrière.
2: In August 76, there were clear indications that the volcano La Soufrière on the Caribbean island of Guadeloupe was about to erupt. The mountain had emitted its first signs in spring that year, and scientists had been flown in. Things began to take a dramatic turn towards the end of August. What was expected was no ordinary eruption, but an explosion of the whole volcano with a force of at least five or six atomic bombs. Thus, 75,000 inhabitants were evacuated from the surroundings of Kano, the whole southern part of the island. I was immediately fascinated when I read in a newspaper that one single poor peasant living on the very slopes of the volcano had refused to be evacuated. The very same day I set out together with my two cameramen, Jörg Schmidt Reitwein and Ed Luckman.
0: Herzog's career is filled with adventures and grand gestures. There was the time in the 1970s when he swore he would eat his shoe if Errol Morris ever completed his first film. When Morris finally finished Gates of Heaven, Herzog made good on the promise at a public event in Berkeley, California. It was captured by Les Blank in the short film Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe.
3: I didn't mean to, to eat this shoe uh, in public. I intended to, to eat it in a restaurant, but I was pushed a little bit into it and it makes sense to some extent because it should be an encouragement for all of you who want to make films and who are just scared to start, and who haven't got the guts. So you can follow a good example. In 1982,
0: Les Blank made a feature-length documentary about Herzog, set in the jungle of South America. Herzog was directing Klaus Kinski for the period film Fitzcarraldo, set in the early 20th century, about a rubber baron who wants to move a steamship over a mountain to reach the Amazon. Herzog sought to accomplish this engineering feat himself, pulling a real steamship with a bulldozer. The production was plagued by problems, including actors dropping out, a plane crash, and rebellious crew members. The jungle itself was full of threats poisonous snakes, dysentery, and warring tribes. Les Blanc's documentary is fittingly titled The Burden of Dreams. In it, Herzog delivers this memorable interview.
3: Of course we are challenging nature itself and it hits back, it just hits back that's all and that's grandiose about it and we have to to accept that it is much stronger than we are. Kinski always says it's full of erotic elements. I don't see it so much erotic, I see it more full of obscenity It's just, and nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away.
0: The confrontation between man and nature is a recurring theme in Herzog's work his unmistakable narration has become a key attraction for longtime followers. I sat down with him in September during the Toronto Film Festival. I brought up The Burden of Dreams and asked if he started to recognize his potential as a character in that film.
1: Well, I was always reluctant to uh, allow Les Blank to come on location and do a film on the making, because when you know there is a camera on you, uh, while you are working, uh, you you are somehow inhibited. You are talking slightly different. You cannot enjoy a meal anymore if a camera follows every single bite that you <laughs> that you are munching. <laughs> so uh, no, not really. Although I must say, Les Blank's film Les Blank film Burden of Dream is is a very good film. It came at me uh, earlier when I did the great ecstasy of the sculptor Steiner about um, a world record uh, or world champion ski flyer uh, from Switzerland.
0: The great ecstasy of woodcarver Steiner was made for German television in 1974. It largely takes place at a ski jumping competition, with Herzog appearing on camera like a reporter.
1: One of the signatures, it was part of a series, Hmm. of this was that the uh, director must not stay anonymous. Hmm. So we, meaning others as well, had to appear in the film doing the chronicle of things. It was awful for me at the beginning, and then I thought uh, there is something more authentic now in it. And I started to do commentary, and mostly what my presence in my films is is simply commentary that I speak, that I write and I speak.
0: The seed of Into the Inferno was planted 10 years ago, when Herzog was in Antarctica. He traveled to the top of the volcano Mount Erebus and met a team of volcanologists. Among them was Dr. Clive Oppenheimer. Their meeting is captured in the film Encounters at the End of the World.
1: Dr. Clive Oppenheimer, a true Englishman from Cambridge University, surprised us with his tweet outfit, which he wears as a tribute to the explorers of old. He analyzes gas emissions from volcanoes all over the world.
3: If this were one of those active volcanoes in Indonesia, I'd be far more circumspect about standing on the crater rim.
0: I asked Herzog what it was about meeting Oppenheimer that led to this new film.
1: Well I have to reach a little bit farther back Uh, in 1976 I made a film about an exploding volcano in the Caribbean on Guadalupe and uh, so there was a prehistory already when I met Clive Oppenheimer and uh, we connected uh, very easily and uh, um, there's also friendship uh, that you can feel when we made the film. And we kept talking about, we should do something more extensive. We should do something much bigger about volcanoes. Uh, and um, so all of a sudden it materialized.
0: What is it about Clive that that you
1: react to? Well, it has two sides. One is personal. Of course, uh, there's friendship. And it's very easy to start a friendship uh, with him. The second is uh, his presence on camera. He has a a wonderful way to appear on screen, Uh, the kind of uh, erudition with which he talks, never talking down to the audience as a scientist. And you always feel like uh, uh, embraced and he's uh, excited and gets things across to you. And also has a, a great way to conduct uh, conversations, for example, with local people in uh, the Southern Pacific, su- Southwestern Pacific. Uh, and how he, he engages people in conversation is just uh, extraordinary. He could be a phenomenal anchor man for scientific uh, TV projects, for example. So there's a quality that you do not see very often on screen. And, And that's something I can recognize easily as somebody who has worked in documentaries and also with actors in feature films.
0: I mean, I think when people hear the word volcanologist, Uh, they might not even be sure what that means other than uh, a wish fulfillment of a childhood fantasy to get close to to dangerous things. What what does it mean to study volcanoes?
1: Well, it has a practical side. Uh, Number one, we do not know very much about volcanoes. By now, yes, but uh, predictions are not as sure as, let's say, the weather forecast Uh, But of course it has to do a lot with uh, crisis management and it has happened in Clive Oppenheimer's life that uh, in Indonesia, for example, due to his measurements, due to his expertise and expertise of others as well, uh, massive evacuations took place, 500,000 people in the volcano erupted and... uh, conservatively estimated this massive evacuation uh, saved at least 20,000 lives. So there's a very intense practical side, and of course, volcanology is uh, somehow cross-pollinating into geology, of course, and anthropology and uh, archaeology, you just name it, Uh, climate changes because volcanoes have uh, created the atmosphere that we are breathing, for example. So, it doesn't matter whether you know exactly what uh, volcanology is, and and you don't really learn that much about the uh, scientific discipline of volcanology, and that's fine because we are filmmakers.
0: Now, in this film, you're getting close to volcanoes. uh, You've described yourself as taking calculated risks in the film. Do you, and and I think throughout your work, there's an element of getting close to risky situations and and dangerous situations. Do do you think you're attracted to danger?
1: No, uh, I'm attracted to filmmaking. And my task is to come back home with a movie in my suitcase, in my baggage. Uh, But when you are a volcanologist and, let's say, a filmmaker accompanying, um, you have to be aware of certain risks. You have to be uh, prudent. And strangely enough, in the film itself, we are addressing this question. How far would you go to get a measurement? Of course, uh, dying for it doesn't make any sense at all, neither for uh, the people whom you are having to warn nor your own life. And it turns out that uh, in a way I have been and I'm saying that the the only one, the only one in filmmaking who is clinically sane. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do have some practical proof in 70 or so films uh, made over half a century. Never, not a single actor or, or one of the hundreds and hundreds extras ever got hurt. Has never happened, so... Uh, because I have a very, very clear idea about uh, safety. My own safety is a different, uh, a, a different issue. But uh, I would not jeopardize uh, anyone for any film. Contrary to the rumors that you will find on the internet or in the media,
0: there is a kind of mythology that uh, that grows around the career of Werner Herzog.
1: Yes, but I haven't created it. It is, it is just authentic things that I have done. Uh, for example, moving a ship over a mountain. Um, and it is unusual. You normally do not do that for a film. I have done a film on a volcano that was about to explode. In this case, by the way, I had two cinematographers uh, with me. I did the sound. And for every one of us, it was a clear personal decision are we going to do it or not? And I said, stay behind, give me your camera. I can do camera myself. So, But they came along, and it was their individual, clear own decision. So in such a case, yes, you accept collaborators. Otherwise, I would never have uh, gone in, in there without the uh, explicit desire of people to come along.
0: Mm. In, into the inferno, you pay homage to another pair of filmmakers, a husband-wife team, uh, Katya Morris-Craft, who, uh, you describe as being the foremost chroniclers of, uh, of volcanoes. You also inform us that, uh, that they eventually perished by getting too close to, uh, to lava at some point, uh, in their career. When did you become aware of, of their work?
1: I think as long as I've been uh, looking into uh, volcanic eruptions and uh, archival footage they stick out because they went so close and they uh, brought back such extraordinary footage uh, that it just uh, engraves itself in <laughs> upon your soul uh, but at the same time with Clive Oppenheimer we had an ongoing discussion how far would we go where are the limits we discussed the fate of the crafts uh, because both of us had the feeling they were too dangerously close to the volcanic events and tragically enough uh, both of them perished uh, uh, in a pyroclastic flow meaning a like a dust avalanche coming at you at high velocity Uh, And uh, with temperatures inside of uh, something like 850 degrees Fahrenheit or 450 degrees Celsius. So um, yes, this has been very tragic and uh, in a way uh, a cautionary tale for us.
0: Mm. In your film you uh, show a generous sampling of their footage which really is some of the most stunning things I've ever seen on a screen before. But, and before you do that, you let the audience know that they had perished at some point making a film. And it, it reminded me of Grizzly Man, where we as an audience know at the beginning of the film that Timothy Treadwell eventually perished from getting too close to uh, Grizzly Bears. And in, in both cases, cinematically, knowing that creates a real Suspense and, and tension as you're watching that footage. It's almost like a Hitchcock element, letting you know that something yeah. dangerous is going to happen.
1: Well, we are filmmakers, so I'm a filmmaker, and of course, in case of Treadwell, it was known in the general public already that he was uh, attacked and killed by a grizzly bear together with his uh, girlfriend Amy Huguenard. Very tragic, also, and. Um, I think a fairly wide community of people who watch TV in France, for example, knew about their fate. So uh, there's nothing specific and nothing sensational to point out, yes, this is phenomenal footage, but it cost them their lives. Um, it's it's just a, a form of storytelling, hmm. and it's not my invention. It dates back to storytelling of cavemen back in Paleolithic times.
0: Into the Inferno pays close attention to local mythologies that emerge around volcanoes. On the Pacific island of Vanuatu, local people worship the deity of a mythical American GI named John Frum, who's said to live in a volcano. Here's Herzog in the film.
1: Chief Isaac of this John Frum village tightly controls the dogma of the new faith. Different denominations and even a schism in the church seem to have materialized. And so we were only allowed to speak to
3: him and his son.
0: On camera, Oppenheimer interviews the village chief.
3: I understand that John Frum one day will appear to all the people and that he will bring many things, chewing gum, fridges, Cadillacs, maybe Boeing airplanes. There's a striking
0: juxtaposition between Oppenheimer's world of science and the islander's world of faith. I asked Herzog why he wanted to include these conversations.
1: The way Clive Oppenheimer speaks with his uh, tribal people uh, on this Pacific island uh, is, is just very wonderful because as this complete curiosity. He never talks down to them. It's never patronizing. It's genuine curiosity. And the way he connects is is very, very pleasant. You see, you uh, normally see when uh, somebody talks to tribal people, it's always this kind of uh, patronizing or paternalistic uh, sort of attitude, not here in my film.
0: It was very uh, st- uh, striking to me. Yeah. and uh, I wonder about your own curiosity in, in, that, in those kinds of mythologies.
1: Well, we set out to make a film not just about the science of volcanologists. Uh, we uh, wanted to see the humanistic, the human side uh, of uh, people who live under the volcano. Uh, How does it influence their lives, how does it influence their mythologies, their thinking, everything. And, of course, uh, you see, for example, how a volcano in North Korea dictates uh, almost everything that goes into the state propaganda. Or, uh, in Vanuatu, the kind of new belief systems, uh, emergence of a new god, new deities or mythologies in uh, Indonesia. Uh, So, and for a volcanologist like Clive Oppenheimer, it's a very delicate balance, knowing all the mythologies and knowing the thinking of the people. He has to contrast it with the scientific findings. And if you are Evacuating half a million people, you are disrupting their lives. Uh, They are homeless for a week or two. Uh, They cannot take care of their livestock. They cannot uh, plow their fields anymore. So it's a massive intrusion into lives of hundreds of thousands sometimes. And to balance that with their belief systems, that's a very tricky thing. And giving a false alarm, which has happened uh, sometimes, uh, you are evacuating and nothing is happening then. Mm. It's not such a precise science yet um, with very clear uh, predictions of events it will take, like tomorrow morning we'll have a thunderstorm. You cannot do that so far. Earthquakes, by the way, the same thing.
0: You mentioned North Korea, and uh, to my knowledge, this was your first trip to, to North Korea. Yes. Uh, what were your impressions there?
1: Everything is different there. I mean, literally everything. And uh, you see it right away. Uh, a group of university students is approaching, but they are all in uniform. We thought they were soldiers. Mm. And they behave in a uniformity that is uh, uh, something we have not seen in our in our world Um, and of course the um, isolation of the country due to mostly due to sanctions but also a self-imposed form of um, of of community life that uh, you don't have access to the news from outside no radio connections to the outside world, no television, no internet. So that creates a, a, a uniformity that is very, very unusual.
0: As a filmmaker who thrives on your independence, was it difficult to operate in a, in a country where everything is so tightly managed?
1: No, because I knew what, what I was getting into. And Clive Oppenheimer has been there four times already. And I think it's a good idea. Cambridge University has a program, scientific program, with local North Korean uh, volcanologists um, in order to monitor this massive volcano, Mount Pekto, on the Chinese border. And... uh, this kind of opening up and engagement of North Korea, I think, is a very wise and healthy attitude. It uh, it's certainly better than uh, stiffening and tightening uh, uh, restrictions and isolating the country more and more there's a moment where you observe in a North Korean subway
0: station that, that no one is looking at cell phones because that's yes. not part of, uh, of the culture. And I, I detected maybe a, a tinge of respect for people not being so connected to their electronic devices.
1: That's not really the issue, but, uh, but of course, uh, there are some people out there like me who does not want to have a, a smartphone. I do not want to be available all the time and I do not rely on applications to examine the real world. I I do it uh, in in a different way. But um, cell phones per se are, are a phenomenal tool and have been very helpful in many cases. But uh, the over-dependence everybody knows that is <laughs> is something we should be cautious about. And all my friends who are using smartphones are complaining about them, but it's more a shallow sort of complaint. They all use it uh, for for very good and very fascinating purposes. For the past twenty years, Herzog has
0: worked primarily with the editor Joe Beanie. They've collaborated on twenty-seven films. At the TIFF Doc Conference in September. Beanie gave a talk in which he describes how they met.
4: And I think it, it, it sort of starts with the concept of be careful what you don't wish for. Um, I I met Werner about 20 years ago, and uh, at the time I was wanting to be a filmmaker, not an editor. I never wanted to be an editor, and the one kind of filmmaking I was never interested in was documentary. So uh, I, I got a call one day from a friend saying a filmmaker's in town. He's looking for somebody who can edit on an AVID system. You guys have an AVID system. Uh, are you interested? What's the film? It's a documentary. Well, I don't do documentaries. Um, well, it's, the, the filmmaker is Werner Herzog. Okay, let's, let's, let's see how that goes. So the next day I was working with Werner Herzog uh, on a film, Little Dieter De- Little Needs to Fly, and this uh, documentary had a dream sequence in it. And so that changed my whole opinion about uh, documentary.
0: Now, after 20 years of working together, Beanie announced at TIFF that Into the Inferno will be his last film as an editor. He's turning to other creative pursuits. I asked Herzog what Beanie's collaboration has meant to him.
1: Well, that uh, has been very intense uh, and very fruitful. Uh, I owe him a lot for his. Uh, impeccable sense of let's say the the hard core of the quality of material that uh, that i shot sense of storytelling sense of rhythm sense of music so uh, an invaluable collaborator and of course for a long time we discussed that he uh, uh, wanted to move more in different things he's a very fine writer he has done a a short film himself already. So I think um, he never studied editing. He studied to be a filmmaker. And uh, I'm looking forward to what's coming from him now Mm -hmm. with all friendship, with all respect, with all admiration for him.
0: He described that, he said, for the first several films that he did with you, he you know, he stood back and 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 felt more like a technician with your guidance but that eventually he felt like he had something to contribute
1: i think he grew up with my films and working with him he was just a almost inexperienced um, editing assistant And I had the feeling when the editor actually got an offer for a a very big Hollywood production, which would pay enormous amounts of money for eight months nonstop. And he said, there's this offer and it's terrible that I have to tell you this and what do I do? And I said to the editor, just go and do it. And he said, "Yeah, but who is going to edit uh, your film? Then who is going to continue?" And I say, "You know what? There's, it's very easy. I take your assistant Joe Beanie. <laughs> he has. You can tell right away. There's there is a young man who has something in his uh, in his system, and I can tell. I can tell this one is going to be a great one."
0: I want to thank Werner Herzog for speaking with me. Into the Inferno is now playing on Netflix. The film will also screen on November 11th at Doc NYC, followed by a Q&A with Clive Oppenheimer. For tickets, visit docnyc.net. If you're interested to explore Herzog's full career, I strongly recommend his book of interviews with Paul Cronin, titled A Guide for the Perplexed. If you'd like to watch Joe talk about editing with Herzog, you'll find the link in our show notes. Season 2 of Pure Nonfiction will conclude next week with episode 30, and later we'll announce plans for season 3. I encourage you to subscribe for free on iTunes so you don't miss a thing. Pure Nonfiction is distributed by the TIFF Podcast Network. Thanks to our team series producer Michael Scotty Jr., sound mixer Kyle Murphy, web designer Cross Strategy, marketing coordinator Sarah Modo, social media maven Jordan Smith, and executive producer Rafaela Nehausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at T-H-O-M Powers. You can read our show notes, learn about live events, and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net.